We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, Ruth chapter 2, and we could read again verse 3. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 3. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. Today I would like us to look at God's providence in the life of Ruth. The Shorter Catechism gives us great definitions with regard to theology. We have a wonderful definition of what providence is. Providence is God's most holy, wise and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God is the God of providence. And as the God of providence, he's ruling over this world. And he's ruling over every creature and every action of every creature. And every single thing that happens in this world happens according to his plan and his purpose. His providence covers everyone and everything. But also, it in a special way looks after his own people. Because we must remember that brilliant verse in Romans chapter 8, Romans eight twenty-eight. All things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What an amazing verse. All things, not just some things, but all things, every single thing works together, hand in hand, fitting into each piece, fitting into another like a jigsaw puzzle. All things work together for good to those who love God. Who loves God? Those who are called according to his purpose. Those whom he has chosen from all eternity. Those who have responded to the gospel. Those who have been effectually called. And being effectually called, we show that we were elected from all eternity. And everything works for good. The hard things. Yes, even the hard things. And in a strange way, even our sins. Not that that justifies sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, away with such a thought. And yet, in a strange way, even our sins work for our good. We think of the greatest sin that was ever committed, the crucifixion of Christ. How strangely God causes this greatest sin 
to be our salvation. All things were, yes, all things, all things that ever happened, all things that are happening in your life and your experience just now. Yes, these horrible things that grieve you and that cause you great stress and pain and anxiety and trouble, all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. If you trust in Christ, if you're a Christian, God loves you and God cares for you. And isn't that wonderful to know that whatever happens, you've got a father, a loving father, a powerful father, a wise father, a father who's watching over you and who's ensuring that everything that happens happens for your good, that nothing can happen to you but something that's beneficial. Nothing at all. <clears throat> Whatever trials you meet along the road, remember this. There's always a happy ending for the Christian. A happy ending in heaven, of course. But even at different times before that, there's a happy purpose. There's a meaning. There's a loving care. Our Father is watching over us and doing all for the best. Now we come to the verse before us and we're told here that her hap was to light upon a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. First point I wish to make tonight is that there's no such thing as luck or chance, or fortune, good fortune, or bad fortune. No such thing as luck or chance. It says here, her hap was to fall upon part of the field belonging to Boaz. That's the way it happened. But it wasn't a chance happening. It was a happening planned by God from all eternity. Actually, she couldn't have gone to any other field. She could only go to that field because that's what God had planned and he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Everything is organized by him. Now we speak in this way and we speak of perhaps it chanced that way or I just did that or I thought this or I was there. It just so happened. And yet what we have to remember is that the hand of God is involved in our lives at every stage. God's plan is there for ordaining whatever comes to pass. He planned creation. He planned the fall. He planned 
redemption. And he planned the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. He planned everything. And that plan is so detailed that although two sparrows were sold for a farthing, what's a sparrow? What's it worth? Not one sparrow falls to the ground without his notice. He's the one, God's the one, who's involved in everything, even in the conception of a sparrow, the birth of a sparrow, the life of a sparrow. What's a sparrow? And yet there it is in God's plan. And if God has a plan for the sparrows, how much more he has a span for you? Why are you worrying about your clothes? Think of the lilies. They sow not, neither do they spin. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, the beauty of a flower. The fowls of the air, they don't plough, they don't sow. And yet your Father in heaven feeds them. Will he not feed you, O ye of little faith? So from our perspective, it seems like chance. She went out to glean. There were many fields around. One over here, one over there. This one looked good and that one looked maybe not so good. She wondered, will I go here? That looks a good place to go, but maybe not. And then she went to this field, Boaz's field. Her hap was to light upon the field of Boaz and to work there. But there was only one she could go to because God had planned it. He was guiding, restraining, persuading, not against her mind, not forcing her to go in a certain way, but leading her, putting it in her heart, enabling her to come to this decision. God guides so easily, so gently, and yet so firmly. Working on the mind, the will, the affections of every person, so that all things work together for the best. We maybe think it's chance. Our neighbours looking on would certainly say it was chance. But no. It is our Father. He's looking after us. He cares for us. There's no such thing as chance. The second point I'd like to make is that Ruth had a very special place in God's election, in God's plan. God chose Israel. They were the chosen people, the children of Abraham, the children of Isaac, the children of Jacob. They were chosen from amongst all the other nations, not because they were more numerous. They were. They were few in number. Not because they were more powerful. They were actually very weak. Not because they were more faithful. How often they fell away. How often they backslid and went after idols. Why did he not choose Egypt? 
or Assyria or Babylon, these great nations, these wise nations. But no, he chose Israel. Why did he choose them? God knows, and God alone, but not for anything in them. For anything in them would only cause him not to choose them. And why did God choose you? Was it because he saw some great potential in you? Was it because he, he could see that you would make a really good Christian? Was it because he saw that you would decide in your own strength to believe? And that you, somehow or other, although dead in your sins, would generate faith? No, no, no. He didn't choose you because you were any better than anyone else. There were plenty others that he could have chosen. Far more gifted. Far better than you. A far better personality than you. But he chose you. And he chose you because he chose you. And that's all we can say. He said his love... He set his love upon Israel. And then amongst Israel, there was the remnant. The remnant according to the election of grace. Because not all Israel are of Israel. There were many Israelites in Old Testament times who went from the land of Israel to hell. Circumcised, following the worship of the tabernacle and the temple but they perished and why did they perish they perished in their unbelief and they perished in their disobedience they were not chosen by God they were left passed by left by God so amongst Israel there was an elect too a remnant a chosen few amongst them, chosen by the purpose of God, the true children of God, to be born again. But amongst the other nations outside Israel, there were scarcely a soul chosen. Think of the many thousands of dark, dismal years of heathenism and unbelief in Scotland when not a soul was saved left in pagan darkness God chose to restrict for a time his revelation of the gospel to Israel and hardly a soul outside Israel was saved I remember once talking to some African pastors I was lecturing in Kenya and one of them asked about his forefathers who hadn't heard the gospel. And I said, oh, I'm afraid they all went to hell. He found it so hard. How could that be so? My forefathers. He found it almost impossible to accept. And yet, that's the reality. We're saved. And why are we saved? Only by election. Only because God chose to set his love upon us. And up to this present point in time, God has bypassed the vast majority of the world's inhabitants and left them to perish. God could have chosen everyone and saved everyone. 
He could have chosen no one and would have been quite justified in sending the whole race of Adam to hell, just as he sent all the devils to hell. There's no mercy for fallen angels. God could have chosen to save none of mankind. But in his grace and mercy he chose to save some. And what a wonder that should be to us. Israel were saved. A remnant in Israel. Elected. But outside of Israel there were very few. Naaman the Syrian. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Yes, it would seem that he was converted, amazingly, at the end of his life. One or two outside Israel. But you know, from all eternity, before Ruth was born, before the Moabite nation began, before the world was created, away back in eternity, God knew Ruth and God loved Ruth. That's amazing. And if you're a Christian tonight, God loved you. And in fact, there was never a time when God didn't love you because God is eternal. And in everything he does, he is unchangeable. And his purposes are eternal like himself. The wonder, how amazing. This woman, Ruth, God always loved her. There she was, born in a heathen land, born to uncircumcised parents, brought up worshipping idols, Everyone around her going to hell in their darkness. And yet, God set his love on Ruth. God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts than our thoughts. We cannot understand why. God's ways are surprising. He often takes us by surprise. You and I, hell-deserving, obnoxious sinners. And yet he chooses us before we were born. We think of Isaac and Rebecca. Do you remember how they were married for 20 years and they had no children? And they prayed to the Lord that they would have children. And eventually, Rebecca conceived. And then... There was a struggle inside her. She wondered what was going on. It seemed like there was some turmoil inside. And she asked of the Lord what it was. Two nations are within you. She had conceived twins. And these twins were fighting. Because these twins were going to be so different. Esau and Jacob. And even before they were born, it was said, the elder shall serve the younger. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. 
that profane man Esau, who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, the man who pretended to be his brother, who was quite happy to tell lies, it seemed in his early days, and yet by grace converted. He learned what it was for others to lie to him and to deceive him. And for years she was deceived about his son Joseph and thought he was dead. God's chastening in his life. Jacob, Jacob have I loved. Not because he was better than others, because God had chosen to make him better. And today Jacob is perfect. And so is everyone who dies in Christ. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies being still united to Christ to rest in the grave until the resurrection. The next thing I want you to notice is the way that Ruth is brought into Israel. The way that she joins with the people of God. Lots of things had to happen first. God sends a famine to the land of Israel. Why did God send that famine? Well, one reason why he sent the famine was so that Ruth would be saved. It was God's purpose to use that famine for the salvation of Ruth. Now there, no doubt, were other reasons. God's not simple like us. He has has a great mind and God had many purposes in everything that he did. But the one purpose that we know for sure with regard to the famine was God's purpose was the salvation of Ruth. And then we're told about this man Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And they had their two sons, Malon and Kilian. And when the famine came, they were obviously quite wealthy people. The famine came, things were difficult. And they heard, they heard that things were much better in Moab. And so they thought, well, let's go to Moab. God put this thought in their hearts. And so they decided to go to Moab. And they went out furrow crossed over to the land of Moab and they settled down there and life was quite comfortable to begin with. They went out full. But then troubles came along. Elimelech died. God's purpose was in that too. And then Malin meets this girl in Moab, Ruth. He's attracted to her and she's attracted to him. They fall in love and they get married. And then Killian, he meets a girl too, Orpah, and they marry. But then God's dark purposes again. Malin dies. You can just imagine the happiness of the young couple getting married, life in front of them, thinking with enthusiasm of all they were going to do and the family they were going to have. But 
sadness. Not only had the father died, but now Ruth's husband has died. What a tragedy. How could this possibly be for my good? But God knows how. And we have to believe sometimes, even when we cannot see it, when we can't grasp it. Remember reading the story of Finlay Cook, who was a minister in the 19th century. He was uh, married to a young wife who died. And he said, I couldn't believe that this is possibly for my good, but for the fact that it's written in Scripture. It's written in God's Word, and therefore I have to believe it. But he was so pained. How could the death of his darling wife be for his benefit? But the Bible says it. All things work together for good. So we have to believe it. And there's this, this girl then, this young woman, and her young husband dies. And Orpah's husband dies too. And there's Naomi. And she's so broken-hearted. Remember when she came back to, to Bethlehem and the people of Bethlehem gathered around her and they said, is this Naomi? And she said, call me not Naomi, pleasantness. Call me Mara, for the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. How bitterly the Lord had dealt with her. And yet, the bitterness is sweet. Because there was a purpose of love in it. And the Lord does never deal unnecessarily bitterly with his people. There's a purpose of love in everything that happens. And you and I are to be patient and wait for the outworking of God's purpose of love. In whatever happens to us. And the tragedies in our lives. And the trials and the difficulties and the problems. Because God's love is in it. And what a wonderful God we have. A God who cares for us so deeply. And there in the land of, of Moab, Naomi hears. <coughs> Naomi hears that the famine has ceased and that the Lord has visited his people and that he's blessed Israel once more. And so Naomi decides to return home and she says to her daughters-in-law, you better stay here. I can't help you. I'm just a poor widow. God has dealt so hard with me. I can't help you. I can't have another son. I'm too old to have a son. I, I can't give you husbands. You better just stay here. And she persuades Orpah to stay there with her people and her gods. But you remember these beautiful words. These words of Ruth. Obviously she'd been converted. And somebody said to me the other night, Ruth had no Bible but, but Naomi. But Naomi was a Bible to her. Are you a Bible to those who are around you? Are you a witness showing forth Christ and the grace of God in your life? And making the love of God shine through in your life to those around you. There was Naomi feeling, no doubt, what a failure she was 
in so many ways and feeling that the Lord was dealing so hard with her that Ruth says to her, verse 16 of chapter 1, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death. Part me, part thee, and me. Amazing what grace had done in our life. Introduced to the true religion through her husband. And then seen it in her mother-in-law, Naomi. And drawn to the living God. And coming to put our faith in him. Born again by the grace of God. By the spirit of God. Entreat me not to leave thee. Or to return from following after thee. For where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. The people of Israel, the church of God, that's my people. Thy God, my God. I turn my back upon the gods of Moab. Thy God shall be my God. And where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Ruth leaves everything behind. Her friends, her family, her country, her pastimes, her occupations. She leaves all behind. And that's what we're called upon to do too. To deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ. To leave all for the sake of Jesus. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and to a land that I will show thee and I will be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee. God's words to Abraham. Better to leave all and be a poor Christian and gain everything. What shall it profit a man though he gain the whole world and lose his soul? But if we lose the world and gain our soul, then we've got everything. Finally, we notice how Ruth meets Boaz. We're told that Naomi and Ruth came back to Bethlehem. It was the beginning of the barley harvest, and we notice that Ruth was not lazy. She's prepared to take a job. They're very poor. They've got nothing. But Ruth is ready to work, and she's prepared to take the poorest job, gleaning after the reapers, going out into the fields and picking up the odd ears of corn that are dropped by the reapers. She went out gleaning in the fields. And of all the fields that she can choose to work in, she chooses to work in the field of Boaz, because God's hand is involved in it. And then Boaz comes to the field, 
and bore his notices, sir. God's hand was involved in that too. He asks about her. Who is this maiden? And he hears that it's the, Ro the, the, the Moabitess maiden who came back with Naomi. And he has heard good news about her. How kind she's been to her mother-in-law. How loving and faithful. That she's a virtuous woman. All these things in God's plan. All this good reputation going before her because the Lord was guiding and directing in these things. He talks to her. And he talks kindly to her. And she responds properly. And so when she comes back and tells Naomi, the idea arises in Naomi's head. And she sends Ruth to meet Boaz privately, where nobody will be around to interfere. And Boaz is prepared by God. And he receives Ruth well. There's another kinsman closer, but that kinsman doesn't want to get involved with Ruth. So he plays the part of the kinsman redeemer. And he marries Ruth. And God gives them a son. Ruth had been married before and had no son. But now God who opens her womb gives her a son. And the son is called Obed. And Obed had a son called Jesse. And Jesse had a son called David. And David had a son called Jesus. God's amazing providence. Bringing this young lady from the land of Moab, from the worshipping of idols, to be a mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's providence. God's providence in everything that happened in her life. All these hard things, these difficult things, these troubled times, these bereavements and sorrows, famines and troubles and all sorts of things, all working to good for the people of God. What a comfort this should be to us. What an encouragement to you, child of God. Can a mother forget her sucking child? The mother who has a little baby at her breast. Can't she forget her child? Not really. Surely not. The mother and child are inseparable. But even they may occasionally forget. Yet, says God, I will not forget you. Even though a mother may forget her child, God loves you more than any mother ever loved her child. How wonderful that is. Take comfort, child of God. You don't know why you're going through this trouble just now. But keep going. It will all eventually become clear. God loves you. God loved you from all eternity. And God loves you so much that everything that happens to you is for your good. And one day soon, he's going to take you to be with himself in heaven, where you will, where you will enjoy him forevermore. How wonderful. 
And if you're not a Christian tonight, come to Christ. He's willing to receive you. He excludes no one. He says, Oh, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the water. Whoever you are, come to me. And him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank thee for this glorious gospel of God's redeeming grace. We thank thee for the wonderful purpose of election. We thank thee, O Lord, that thou dost not leave us as thou hast left many, but in thine amazing mercy thou didst set thy love upon us. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in this, to look to thee more and more, and to trust in thee, and to see thine hand at work in our lives. Enable us then to be still, and know that thou art God. Oh, why art thou cast down my soul? Why in me so dismayed? Trust God, for I shall praise him yet. His countenance is mine aid. Pardon us our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Our closing praise is Psalm 46. Psalm 46, singing verses 8 to 11. Psalm 46 at verse 8. Come and behold what wondrous works have by the Lord been wrought. Come see what desolations he on the earth hath brought. Unto the ends of all the earth, wars into peace he turns. The bow he breaks, the spear he cuts, the fire uh, in fire the chariot burns. Psalm 46, verses 8. To eleven. Come and behold what wondrous
intimations are as follows. The services next Sabbath at the usual times of 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. We hope to have a fellowship for the congregation in the manse after the evening service next Lord's Day, God willing, to which you're all invited. The prayer meeting on Thursday evening, uh, as usual, at 7.30 p.m. Scottish Reformation Society are holding a meeting uh, online Friday, uh, 10th June, 7.30 p.m. The subject is John Brown of Haddington and the speaker, Reverend Robert McCurley, McCurley of Greenville uh, Church in America. And uh, there's an intimation too about Mrs. Ferrier, who's still in hospital. Could say that we were in touch with her daughter this afternoon, and she is uh, quite seriously uh, unwell, and the family would, in that sense, value your prayers at this time. <clears throat> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.